0: There are reasons that these industries have been standing for so long. So we need to first learn why they've been standing for so long. And then what can I add to that? Because it's really you learning what you can add to this antiquated system. And let me test that out. Let me see if it's a real thing. Let me use this as a testing ground so I can then go ahead and do this in a way that I'm really going to be able to break some glass ceilings.
1: Welcome to the Paint and Pipette podcast. My name is Jeremy Utley, and it's my job to illuminate the tactics of world-class performers across domains. As a day job, I teach at the Stanford D School, helping students learn what it takes to come up with ideas. But I've realized I need to stay in the classroom learning myself, and this podcast is my classroom.
2: Hey, hey, I'm Marcus Hollinger. I lead marketing and creative at Reach Records an Atlanta-based independent record label. And I'm also co-founder for Portrait Coffee, where we are seeking to reimagine the picture that comes to mind for folks in specialty coffee. I'm so excited to pull up my desk alongside my good friend and fellow learner, Jeremy. And I think y'all are gonna love what we have for you this season.
1: We've got some amazing stories on deck, and we can't wait to dive in and learn
2: alongside you. So grab your pipette and your paintbrush, and let's make something beautiful together. In this episode, we had the opportunity to talk with Gavin Guidry, one of RGA Advertising's creative directors. In this fascinating conversation, we learned that it's actually important to understand where someone is creating from before you can understand what they're creating.
1: Gavin blew our minds with his insight around brand relevance being achieved through community relevance rather than cultural relevance, and talked about the need to cultivate a base set of knowledge before seeking to break a paradigm.
2: Gavin also dropped some serious gems on us. In fact, he shed light on the fact that the popular quote by Malcolm X, by any means necessary, actually has a lot more to do with preparation than many may think.
1: We really enjoyed this conversation and we hope you do too. Let's dive in. I'm Jeremy Utley. I have been teaching at Stanford in the design program for the last 12 years now, as of this month, actually. I started when I was 10 years old and I teach a bunch of classes around design, around leadership, around entrepreneurship, and I run executive programs as well. And a couple of years or about a year ago, I started doing research for a book that I'm working on with a colleague and partner in crime named Perry Claibon. And as I was doing research, I was struck. Uh, I've got four daughters and I was struck by, and I don't even know how much Marcus knows this background, by the way. So this might be useful for Marcus too. But as I was doing my research for the uh, book and also just to be, you know, a better human learning, I was shocked to see how few women there were. Mm-hmm. In the annals of history, as far as creativity and innovation and invention and discovery is concerned, you know, I can only tell the stories that I know. And so for me, I started thinking, wow, if I don't want to perpetuate that, I got to take initiative and start to seek out stories of uh, female, you know, creatives, founders, inventors, et cetera. And so just as a kind of a personal learning journey, I, Asked a good friend of mine who's a female VC and entrepreneur if she would interview female founders with me. So she and I started doing that. And it quickly became the highlight of my week. And I don't know about you, but for me, I would say most of the time when I walk into a room or into a space because I'm a teacher, perhaps the expectation is that I'm supposed to be talking. And I have been delighted to have carved out a time every week. Where my job is to not talk, but to listen just for my own kind of growth and understanding. And it's really been uh, invigorating for me. And so anyway, we got through several of these conversations and Mar said, and Mar and I were talking and uh, I just said, I feel kind of guilty that we're the only people hearing these conversations. And so she and I kind of jointly cooked up this idea of maybe we, you know, post the audio file somewhere. Maybe it becomes a podcast. We're not exactly sure what it will be. But then her VC has a, a summer accelerator that they're running. So her calendar got really busy. And she said, hey, we got to take a break for the summer. But for me, in my own learning, I was like, there are a couple things stood out. One, I realized the value of carving out time to listen rather than talk. And two, I realized being deliberate about my own blind spots was a really worthwhile perspective for me that I hadn't really thought about being deliberate about. In that case being, hey, I've got four daughters. I'd love to see them as creative and enterprising as they possibly could be. And probably there's stuff about the way I interact with them that, that may hold them back. I don't know. And so anyway, so when Mar said, hey, I want to push pause for the summer, I felt like, you know what? I can't push pause on my own learning journey. <laughs> I got to keep learning. And Marcus <laughs> and I just happened to be talking the other day And I said, you know, another big blind spot for me is the experience of Black creators and artists and inventors, and talk about a shortage of stories there. I mean, in terms of literature, it's like probably even worse, actually, than females. And anyway, so I said, Marcus, maybe we could have some of these conversations too, because you know, while I'm on hiatus with Mars, so to speak, I don't want to be on a hiatus in my own learning journey. So that's just that's kind of where we're at. We've done one of these conversations before, Marcus and I, did last week with a entrepreneur who we admire and And you're the second conversation. So feedback or thoughts on that objective or aspiration, but we're all ears and we're eagerly accepting direction and guidance too. So whatever you got. I'm honored.
0: I'm super honored. I like the very organic nature of the way that this has come about. I think everything that's good is organic personally. So I think just the fact that this has come about organically and like your intentions are you wanting to learn more for your daughters, I think that's beautiful. So yeah, I mean, I'm glad to be just, you know, a part of that. But yeah, if I could think of anything, I'll let you guys know. But uh, I'm just excited to uh, yeah, just be hopping on and and talking to y'all.
2: Yeah, man, I love the way even at the conversation is starting now. And and Gavin, you threw out a word there that's so, I think we just gotta jump in there. Yeah, You've said a couple of times organic, organic, organic Mm -hmm. already. And what I know from you and how I've worked with you, I know that that's actually infused in your process. One of the things that really admire, that I admire about you was as we were putting together our agency uh, practice together, You shared with me this perspective on Mm. helping brands achieve relevance. And what you said was that brand relevance is tied to or better. I think you could say it. I think you could say it better than I could, because I may butcher it. Uh,
0: So the like my stance on. Well, let me just go back because I think I can maybe circle back to this in a complete full circle way, but just to start. So, and I'll try to get a full clip because I know you'll probably need to cut it together. But so I'm Gavin. I am a creative director in the advertising space. So really what I do on a daily basis is I get to lead amazing creatives to create content, mostly on social, mostly social and digital. But yeah, to create content for brands. So that's what I do on the daily basis. But my background is actually in content creation. So I started as a photographer, videographer, doing a lot of like streetwear, doing a lot, you know, shooting a lot of music videos, you know, that sort of thing. And then realized that I was basically an in house ad agency for a lot of these different stores and, you know, these different people who I was working for. I was running Facebook pages and Bandcamp
1: and, you know, just all of these different things. And Gavin, hang on, I just got to ask you. You say you realize you're an in house ad agency. Well, yeah. What, tell me, like, walk me through that moment. Like, how did you realize that? How did it come to be? Cause that feels like a comment you can just run right by, but I bet there's enormous <laughs> insights right there. Yeah. So, I mean,
0: I'm sure Marcus can attest to this as well. And a lot of people who are going to be listening to this can attest as well. When you're sort of like a creative person who can do a lot of different things, especially when you start out, you're going to be at cool, small... Because you flock to these different brands and these different companies because you're a fan of them. So you're going to flock to them and they're going to realize everything that you can do. And they're going to say, yo, I want you to do it all. Like, I want you to do everything. And so I would get to the point where I was doing a lot. So, you know, for example, I used to run the marketing at uh, a boutique here in Atlanta called Wish Atlanta,
2: where, you know, a lot of people get their shoes, basically. Wish is a really, really big deal, by the way. Like, and streetwear (laughs) is a whole nother tangent. It's a whole nother thing that we could jump into. Mm -hmm. But Wish is probably like top five in streetwear sneaker culture around the country. So... Let me just say, give that bit of info. It's,
0: it's a big day. I was I was very blessed to get that opportunity while I was in college, actually, um, and then a little bit after college, I worked there. But a, you know, a, a day for me would look like coming in, writing a blog post about some sneakers, taking those sneakers to the studio to do some product photos. So like you know, studio, studio setup, studio lighting, all of that. Then taking those shoes outside, scheduling a shoot with a model, putting those shoes on a person, matching that with an outfit, whatever. Then I would have to, you know, I take those photos, come back in, finish writing my blog post. Then I would have to, you know, put Google Analytics on all of the photos and throughout the blog post. Then I would have to, you know, sort of like craft an email to Hype Beast and Complex and Sneaker News and all of these different places. And then, you know, we would have to like place our stories. So in that you heard photographer, editor, producer, SEO analyst, SEO analytics, model.
1: Tell me you were modeling the shoe too. No, absolutely. Absolutely not. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's about the only thing I didn't do. So yeah. And then, and then I would have to make it social, make it social, put it on social, which was my actual real job. So that is really how, you know, now I got to a point where like my actual degrees in marketing, I worked in all of these different creative fields. And so I felt like the perfect blending of them was, was advertising. So I was like, look, I'm doing all of these things. I'm pretty sure this is what advertising agencies get paid for. Maybe I should figure out what that looks like. So that's really how I got into, into advertising. But what I learned as a young black content creator, without connections, without going to advertising portfolio school, is that it's almost impossible to break into the industry. And that is really one of That's one of my goals now at this point to make things more accessible for people like me. Like, how do we get more content creators, which is sort of like a newer position in advertising? How do we get young Black creatives, young Latino creators, just creators who are, you know, shooting music videos, making their own little fashion brands? How do we get them to tell the stories for these brands? Because that's what they really need. Which yeah. brings me to Marcus's question, which is, you know, what I've learned by having my sort of like streetwear editorial background and then coming into advertising is that, you know, advertising, especially nowadays, and you know, it's 2021, a lot of people want to chase the culture. They want to be culturally relevant, and that looks like I'm going to hire an endorser, I'm going to hire an influencer, and I'm going to just milk them for all that they're worth. What I've learned. Just by actually having to create content that people want to engage with organically through, you know, working with the hype beasts and the complexes and the wish Atlantas and, you know, just different places like that is what really attracts people is not necessarily like, Oh, they have my favorite rapper, but like, Oh, as someone who's a part of this niche community, this relates to me. So I think it's all about community relevance over cultural relevance. And helping brands learn who their communities are and how can we create experiences and content for them that's going to be valuable for them. So yeah, that's really my whole thing.
2: That was revolutionary the first time I heard you say that because anyone who's at least working on the communication side of business or a brand, they've heard that relevance, right? That's sort of this metric that's sort of out there that It's really hard to measure outside of going viral or something (laughs) like that. At what point was it that you realized that community was the Mm. power to really drive brand relevance?
0: Yeah, good question. I think that I really started to put two and two together and really put a name around this because, you know, I, I feel like God has been setting me up to do this kind of work throughout my career, but I didn't really notice I was doing it. Until uh, probably a couple of years ago, I was doing a campaign with Sprite where we had gone from working with, you know, big, you know, Vince Staples. And I mean, if you guys see right here, I mean, you guys probably won't be able to feature this, but there's a bunch of like little figurines up here. This is like from some Sprite stuff, but the Vic Mensas, the Lil Yachtys, the LeBrons, the Vince Staples, like all of those folks. And, you know, they would we would shoot with them, we create a campaign with them. And then the next day, they'd be on social media, promoting Fago and different soft drinks. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like We just did a shoot last week. And so we had an opportunity to create a, a social program around the Grammys. And instead of trying to ride the coattails of these similar people, I thought it would be better as Sprite, which is a big of course, brand in the black community. A lot of people on social media would say, endorse me Sprite, endorse me Sprite, endorse me Sprite. So I figured that instead of let's use the Grammys instead as a way to hear what the community wants to listen to, hear who the community wants to see up on that stage. Because you know, in the past, I would say five years in the Oscars and the Grammys, we've been seeing that these award shows are not reflecting the will of the people they're not looking like what their community is looking like and what their community wants to see. So social media is to me, you know, people look at it as sort of like a separate platform, but to me, you know, all of these different marketing tools, broadcast, out of home, social media, they're all just, you know, tools in the same toolbox. So social media is where you can be the closest when you talk about meeting someone where they're at, that is social media. So we, literally used our social to say, to ask a simple question, who are the artists that you want to hear from? And we're going to put them on. And we got organically tens of thousands of comments on Instagram and, and Twitter and created a platform for up and coming musicians, fashion designers, and artists based off of our community telling us, who they like. So we put them on playlists. We link them with, we're not a record label. So we're not going to get anyone a deal, but we, what we can give them is a platform. We can put them in touch with Complex. We can put them on stage at you know the BET Awards. We can give them all of these different connections. We can put a designer with Jeff Staple and have them create pieces together. Those are the things that we can do. So it was really creating that project really based off fueled by the community that really helped me understand the, just what the power of authentic community
1: really is. You mentioned something that I want to come back to some kind of As someone who's not as involved in the advertising world, I don't know Mm -hmm. that I understand the difference. And so I'm curious to just understand is What's the difference between community relevance and cultural relevance? How do you distinguish between those things? Because I feel like Marcus heard that and was like, oh, you know, like (laughs) I hear that and I'm like, I have no idea what the difference is. So
2: that's a great question. That's great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, cultural relevance and community relevance are linked However, cultural relevance is fleeting. Cultural relevance is something that is here today, gone tomorrow. So if I want to be culturally relevant, I'm going to go to the person who has the number one song on Spotify, and I'm going to have them change their lyrics up a bit to insert my product. Community relevance, there's always going to be community, and there's always going to be a service and a value that you can provide to that community. And community is also community is what makes things relevant. So when we talk about cultural relevance, cultural relevance comes from the community. You know, Like you can't have cultural relevance if there's not a community supporting you, sharing you, platforming you. So instead of trying to chase the cultural relevance, which is going to change day by day, month by month, year by year, I think that the more, you know, the way that brands can actually have longevity and also provide value is to look at who is my community or which community am i serving and how can i basically be the best servant to them so that i think is a little bit of a difference between community relevance it's a difference between a brand who has a viral you know campaign or commercial because they linked up with the right influencer but they have no actual brand equity and a brand who can not have any viral moments but they always have a community that is going to continue to engage with them because they're relevant to that community because of, you know, uh, how they use their platform, what they use their platform to say, what they use their platform to do, what they use their platform to fuel. That's how you get community relevance. And that's really sort of like the difference between community relevance and cultural relevance. It's great.
2: Which is interesting. I think it's interesting. And the reason why that the timing of that revelation for me coming from you to me was important. How would you say with the social and political climate Mm. that we (laughs) found ourselves in just a few years ago and and are currently still at least under, how would you speak to the importance or would you say that that's pressing for folks to get that right now?
0: 100%. And you've seen it. Some brands were set up to tackle social issues head on. When it wasn't avoidable anymore, you saw which brands were actually set up and had an infrastructure to say, I'm going to make a change and I'm going to be an ally in this moment. And you saw which ones were being performative. And the real differentiator between the two is the ones who had no community relevance before, let's say, May or June of 2020. You know, those are the brands who came off performative. They could have given a hundred mil but the people can see through that. So, you know, since then I've done multiple campaigns and on those campaigns, I can see how easy it is for me to say, hey, let's do a campaign for the people. I've seen how easy it is to do those campaigns because of what we've been able to do on that brand. And I've also seen how hard it is for those companies, both internally trying to change minds internally At brands to say this is how we should use our platforms and also externally, where if we put something out, people are actually going to get with it. I've seen that as very hard, no matter how good the idea is to turn that boat around. And it's because some brands have been using their and building their community relevance for years.
2: If someone is listening to this right now, they might be wondering, well, okay, I may not be in an advertising, but there is a group of people that I'm communicating to, a group of stakeholders that I'm communicating to. And Mm -hmm. maybe by now that light of community versus sort of this fleeting, more surface level interaction, maybe that light is starting to go off. In your experience, are there some sort of tools that you could describe on how to build community relevance? Well,
0: yeah, social media is great. I think just having one-on-one interactions is a great way i believe to build community relevance i think it's community relevance is just being a person like being a human what do the humans who form a community around my product or my business or my you know content what do they feel what do they need and whatever can get you there i think is sort of a tool so i think social media is a great tool i think people use social media It's 2021. And there's a lot of brands who still use social media as a form of promotion, which I think is crazy. I think it's okay to use social media as a form of promotion. But social media is about conversation and connectivity. I think it's totally fine to be generating inbound traffic from social media. But the purpose of your social media should be to connect to people and create connections. And so there's also companies that are making connection easier than ever there's community you can have a you can set up a community number where you can text people you can be on clubhouse you can be creating your own pockets of community based around just different conversation topics and it's really just about like you know we're getting to the point where people are not going to be seeing ads anymore <laughs> and the the things that are going to be seen are the things that people choose to engage with So we need to be creating those spaces for people to engage with us and for people to really like us. So, yeah, you know, I think for anyone who's wanting to build that community relevance, it's all about, you know, using tools that garner connection. That's really it.
1: You mentioned in the beginning of our conversation that part of your passion now is to be opening up the ability for others like you to break into the industry. Can you tell me? Not why you speculate it's difficult to break in, but why you think that. Why do you think it's difficult to break in? Not what's the reason for the situation, but Mm. why do you assess the situation that way? Why do you say it's hard for... I have in my notes here, I learned as a young Black creator that it's almost impossible to break into the industry. Yeah. Why do you say that?
0: Yeah, because people don't know what to do with us. People don't know what to do with us. People don't always understand us. The first agency that I had the opportunity to work for, which I'm very grateful for the opportunity, I had no business being, (laughs) no, again, no portfolio school, uh, went to school for marketing. There was nothing that screamed advertising at that moment. I mean, there were a lot of things that screamed advertising because I could, you know, just based off of my experience, but there was nothing that screamed traditional advertising at the time. So I'm very grateful that I got the opportunity to at least work at an agency to get my foot in the door. However, at that agency, I at the time was coming off of like I just shot this big video series for Hypebeast, Beast. Felt more confident in my abilities as a photographer, as the videographer, than I had ever felt before. As an editor, than I had ever felt before. And I come to this agency, and I'm like, "Hey, let's do this video series. Let's do this. You know, let's do this. Let's do that." And they were like, "Uh, that's not really what we. That's not really what we do here. You know, like, do you want to make these Facebook graphics for us? You want to?" you know, you want to do this, you want to do that. And like, at the time, I was pretty bent out of shape about it. But I'm not going to be too hard on them, because they really just didn't know what to do with me. And I think that things are set up systematically the way they're set up to keep the same people sort of like where they're at. And so for advertising, you have, there's an archetype, and there's a way of thinking. And when somebody comes in who doesn't fit the mold, It's really hard to figure out where to place them because you not only have to say, Hey, I think this person can. Let's say you're even at the point where you're like, You know what? I do want something new, dynamic, and groundbreaking. You still have to sell that into your client. You know, it's not as simple as just saying, Hey, this guy can give us some cool, weird ideas. You have to make sure that they can be somewhere nine to five, they can communicate, they can, you know, present to the client. You have to make sure the client. Can, you know, have a conversation with them and be like, yes, you know, I understand what they're going to do. And a lot of times these are very, you know, these are very traditional clients and very traditional executives. And it's, it's hard to say, yo, I can tell this dude who makes these crazy music videos and, you know, runs his own brand and all of these things. It's hard to communicate that and they can make a campaign for you because a lot of people just don't know what to do with that kind of talent. So I want to figure out as someone who's been able to, whether it's successful or not, the jury is still out, but you know, I've been able to navigate these waters. I want to say, I understand this talent. And I also understand what these agencies and brands need, even if they don't know they need it. I know they need it. And I'm going to try to be able to bridge that gap. So that's kind of what I do when I'm not actually making stuff for for brands.
1: Well, I think what you've done right now is you've described the tension of disruptive innovation in every industry. You know, I'm just reading this book. You can't see it because my poster notes on it, but called "In the Plex," which is about Google by Stephen Levy, and I'm only a couple hundred pages in. But the paradigm they had. They couldn't sell an existing search company on their paradigm because Mm. nobody believed it. You know, Airbnb couldn't sell an existing hospitality company on their paradigm because. And so to me, in a way, what you've done is you've described like it's a paradigmatic shift that you're talking about. And I wonder whether it's in a way to use a phrase, a fool's errand Mm. to try to convince an incumbent to be different. It's like. Because what history shows a lot of times is the incumbent organization is the last like conventional mm-hmm. wisdom keeps them from seeing what's new. But to me, the whole framing of trying to help people to break into the industry, I wonder whether it's break up the industry, <laughs> you know, yeah, to break yeah, yeah. implies that the existing structure deserves to be preserved. And I think break up implies this is a structure which no longer serves us. I don't mean it like in an anarchistic kind of a sense. I mean, in a disruptive innovation sense, right?
2: Yeah. That becomes a little more consequential when you're talking about human beings, right? So Mm. to try to sell in the idea that there should be this search engine, that's one thing, right? Because that search engine Mm. doesn't have feelings. It doesn't have a history. It doesn't have a background. I'm curious, Gavin, and at least for you in the advertising industry, what that experience is like to sort of you're advocating for people who are like you but mm-hmm. you also are in a position of power and you kind of see yourself reflected in it. what is that like to try to you know push that curve a little bit
0: there's a lot of tension and Jeremy just to go back a bit to what you were talking about so I 100% agree that disruption is necessary and maybe it's a little bit like, basically like why try? If, if this is a bit antiquated, then why even try? And what I've learned is that there's a lot that we need to learn from things before we disrupt it. And I've worked at places that have tried to disrupt almost for disruption's sake or disrupt without first cultivating. Marcus and I have read a book called Culture Making and highly, and that recommend. Book it, highly recommend, highly, recommend, highly recommend. Andy Crouch, Culture Making. And in that book, a lot of it is about making culture, but a first step is cultivating. You have to be a cultivator of a culture. You have to understand it. You have to tend after it. And so, yes, I want to change advertising and I want to change content and maybe the broader media landscape and who are the power players there. But first, I need to understand what that landscape actually is, And I think it's important for anyone who I'm wanting to get into the industry to understand what that is as well, because there are reasons that these industries have been standing for so long. So we need to first learn why they've been standing for so long. And then what can I add to that? Because it's really you learning what you can add to this antiquated system. And let me test that out. Let me see if it's a real thing. Let me use this as a testing ground so I can then go ahead and do this in a way that I'm really going to be able to break some glass ceilings. And I think not enough people cultivate before they create. And I want to get as many people in the door to give opportunities to learn what they're trying to break before they're trying to break it. There is a lot of tension there sometimes. You know, I, I work with a lot of you know, content creator talent who's like, yo, I could go work over here for my friend's business, for my own business. You know, a conversation I have with a lot of young content creators is, I see my friends, they're making their own companies, they're doing these crazy things, and I'm sitting here at a desk nine to five, or, you know, I'm still out shooting, but then I have to come back to this desk. And I, you know, and if, you know, that's not where they need to be for the moment, then it's like, hey, maybe you do need to go here. Maybe you do need to go there. But what's also very important is that it's just important to sort of like learn to learn and get the structure first. And the structure is invaluable because now when I, I still freelance a lot, I still do like I still try to do a lot of community relevant work in my free time. And what I've learned about how to run campaigns, how to create campaigns, what needs to be done, it's invaluable. I think it's important for at least young people like us to at least have the option to say, I want to go learn here. I want to go cut my teeth here because a lot of times we don't even have the option. Like I was very like to be a creative director at RGA does not happen for someone like me traditionally, not just being black, but the fact that like I have not touched a portfolio school. I've not touched any sort of like ad fellows program. I've not touched any of that. You know, I'm blessed to be in this position, but it took a lot of hard work, and it took a yeah. lot of being placed in the right place at the right time, and people believing in me. That a lot of other people just had someone believing in them. That's that's all they need. So I'm trying. I really want to be that.
2: I want to touch on something here. I definitely love the shout out to Andy Crouch. Such a great book. You talked about understanding the industry by cultivating it, right? Knowing what you want to break before you break it, and it reminds me. Specifically in the, in the black community of sort of this notion of the double consciousness that we often have to operate with. Whereas if you're not black, you can immediately, oftentimes, I don't want to cast too much of a wide net. You can come in and already start the business, enterprising kind of generative thinking right off the bat. But to be black in a lot of these spaces as a creator, there's this deep work of self awareness that Mm -hmm. has to happen first and foremost. It seems like though, Gavin, particularly in the contemporary understanding of that dynamic of double consciousness, that's kind of being blown up, right? Like Mm -hmm. folks are, especially in the black community now with activism being much more out there and people saying like, nah, down with the old structures, we need to burn them down now. How Mm -hmm. are you processing that right now? That energy that says, no, cultivating takes too long. We tried that. Mm -hmm. It's time to tear it down.
0: Yeah, they're not wrong. You know what I mean. And I think there's just a point of like just like self awareness and sometimes knowing when the double consciousness point is. It's such an interesting piece. It's kind of like the by any means necessary or you know sort of like nonviolent work with the power structures, right? Like you you got Malcolm, Malcolm Malcolm, and Martin. You got Malcolm and Martin, and it's like. I think some situations call for Malcolm. I think some situations call for Martin. But what I will say is that Malcolm wasn't impatient or overly spontaneous. Just because by any means necessary doesn't mean drop everything you're doing. Let's get it. Like, there's still planning that needs to go on. So and, you know, when we're talking about activism, I think for the black community and a lot of minority communities, true equality means ownership in this country specifically and we need to start owning things. So that doesn't mean that I'm going to quit my job and start a business, but that means that my goal now has changed. The reason I'm at this 9 to 5, the reason I'm working for this other person's company has now changed. It's gone from survival to setting something up. And I think what the social movements of the past year and a half or so have taught us is that there is a sense of urgency that there is not going to be a change unless we create it. But that's still a lot that we need to learn. But it should change what we're doing this for. You know what I mean?
2: Which for someone who's following this conversation and say, hey, I'm used to coming in for sort of tools of the titans almost. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But this conversation has taken a bit of a different it's almost sort of the for a black innovator, for a black creator if I weren't directly familiar with this dynamic, I'd say, wow, that's a lot to process before (laughs) you even kind of get to the work. Mm -hmm. So Gavin, how do you kind of take this sort of precursory type of work that you have to do of self-awareness of sort of knowing why you're in it and then connect it to this work of community relevance that you're how do the two connect for you in the innovative creative work that you do?
0: Great question. You know, I think and it's funny, like before this conversation, I was like, I was trying to prepare and I was just like, what are some of the ways that I, you know, kind of like a brace for or if I'm about to start a project or something like how do I approach creativity? How do I approach innovation? And it's really just about and the first thing I was going to say Was just like to stay inspired. And, you know, I think a lot of the, to use your words, Marcus, like the precursor work, a lot of this thinking is really just a means of just staying inspired because I think like as creatives, we're just merely, as human beings, sorry, we're just a vessel for creativity. You know what I mean? And it's just like, how are we going to interpret it and put it out there? And so, when we're talking about social issues or the why behind this, it's not so my work is better. It's just so that I am personally better. And then that just comes out in the work. So, you know, I think, yes, it it might feel like, okay, people might be tuning into this for more or less a a formula. And I think that's okay. You know, like not to throw shade in these creative industries and these industries that we're a part of, It's really tough to just give like a one plus one equals two. Or there's a A, there's a B, there's a C. The only thing that we can control is really like what we're consuming and the kind of people that we are, and that's going to come out in the work. And so, yeah, and I'm not gonna say it's not all about the work. A lot of it is about the work, and you know, not to get too hippie or anything like that, like that. But you know, I think we should all be trying to figure out like who we are and what we can offer either this industry or my agency or my company or whatever what can i offer them and then that's just going to come through in the work so for me you know it's all about the precursor it's all about the thinking before we actually get to the work
1: and then the work is the easy part so i think you're feeding right into what perhaps will be the last question just to respect your time yeah. but i'm really curious to know the precursor the feeding into the work Given the kind of constant demands on our time, you know, email never stops, Mm -hmm. Twitter never stops, all this (laughs) stuff, right? Slack, Slack never stops. Slack never stops. How do you create the space? How do you protect the discipline of inspiration? How do you protect Mm -hmm. space to seek inputs, to consume? What practically do you do to make sure that you attend to the inputs?
0: I mean, honestly, like I I wish I tended to all of these things a lot better, (laughs) honestly. So I'm, you know, like no master of this by any means. You know, like Marcus and I have a friend who wakes up at four in the morning every day. He starts his day at four in the morning, still dark outside. He reads, he has his quiet time. He studies. Like um, I'm like, yo, that's what I want to (laughs) do. But I think it's really just about carving out like times of intentionality where you can be inspired. And I think inspiration can come from a lot of places, you know, so like, you know, I'm not saying because, you know, it's it's hard to not be hard on yourself and say, okay, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to have three hours before work, and I'm going to have three hours after work. And, you know, because if I was really giving, you know, the, <laughs> the keys, away, I would say, you know, wake up a few hours before work, and then have a few hours carved out after work. But, you know, that's just not always realistic for people. People have kids, people have dogs, they have to walk, people have a lot of things going on. But I think it's finding those times where you can be intentional, whether that's... I bought a record player finally at the end of last year and have been collecting records. And I try to do it at least once a day at different times throughout the day. Maybe it's at lunch. Uh, you know. Maybe it's after work. Maybe it's in the morning. But I try to put a record on. I try to sit in front of my record player and I listen to my record. And it's crazy how just inspiration will come through in those moments. Or yeah, just finding any time throughout the day to be inspired. You know, I call Marcus up, we have a conversation. I have inspiration that is going to last me a week. You know, I pick up a photo book, I read. I've been very much into futurist thinking lately, which is normally like a very, you know, marketing, uh, C-suite level, you know, consult ideal consulting concept. And I picked up a photo book, read a quote by Tyler Mitchell that by far is the best who's a photographer. By far, the best example of futurism that I've ever read of futurist thinking, and he's not a quote-unquote futurist. That's inspired me. That's been inspiring me for like six months. So You got to tell us the quote. Here, hold on. Let me just grab it really quick so I don't get it wrong. I think Marcus has heard this quote before. Uh, I love that you've actually got it up on the shelf.
2: Oh, yeah. I've got a lot of books on the shelf. (laughs) And by the way, I I hope it's true that a conversation with me is worth a week of inspiration. That's a lot.
0: Anyone listening to this conversation, (laughs) a phone call with Marcus is worth at least a week's worth of inspiration. At least. I can attest (laughs) to that as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Text conversation might be a few days. Okay, so Tyler Mitchell's quote, and this is leading up to one of his first photo exhibitions at the ICP in New York is, let me just make sure I'm starting it at the right place. So he said, and sort of gearing up for this photography collection, he said that I seldom saw the same. He's speaking about images of young, attractive white models on Tumblr, essentially. He said, I seldom saw the same for Black people in images, or at least in the photography I knew. Work comes from a place of wanting to push back against this lack. So this is the quote here, starting... I feel an urgency to create a body of images where Black people are visualized as free, expressive, effortless, and sensitive. I aim to visualize what a Black utopia looks like or could look like. People say utopia is never achievable, but I love photography's possibility of allowing me to dream and make that dream become very real. So when we think about... Yeah. So beautiful quote, photographer Tyler Mitchell, first Black photographer to shoot the cover of Vogue, very young photographer. But what that makes very plain is that we have the ability to create worlds for ourselves. And it's about visualizing what that world is and choosing to create it. And so that... Has been a quote that has fueled a lot of my thinking for like the past like six or seven months, to be honest.
2: I think that's a great place to kind of land the plane for the conversation. And because what I can see in that, Gavin, I see the inspiration from Tyler in that you are visualizing a future where more young black folks can have opportunities and make a difference in the advertising world. So man, all definitely all the best to you in that. Thanks for giving us time here to speak with us and dropping. I think I'm probably going to sit with that Tyler quote for a while. So thank you, man. <laughs> awesome.
1: Awesome. Yes. Thanks for having me on, y'all. This is a very fun conversation. It's a pleasure to meet you and be inspired by you. And hopefully, we can get you to weigh in on how we think about at some point sharing these conversations with the world. We don't have a great plan at this point, but we know that if we continue to seek inspiration, continue to seek input and to learn from people, the path will open up before us, so to speak. So,
2: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Gav. I'll be talking of course. to you soon. Thank you. All right. Peace.